podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to this Nessendorma special. My name is Gary Naylor and I'm here to review the Design Museum's exhibition, Designing the Beautiful Game. Don't be put off by that Tim Lovejoy phrase there, the beautiful game. Uh, this is a much more informed uh, exhibition than that uh, deathless phrase suggests. Um, don't also be put off by the word design or its venue at the Design Museum in Holland Park in London's plush Kensington district because it's very much more about communication than design. It really is a, uh, an exhibition that focuses on how football has communicated itself uh, to its audiences and indeed within its own environment. Um, and it does so through the agglomeration of an extraordinary range of artifacts. And within that, uh, a discourse emerges. So let's go into the first room. And I was struck immediately by a pair of boots that look like they could have come from a Victorian gutter snipe uh, recently ascending a, a chimney to dance on the roof with Dick Van Dyke. But closer inspection reveals that they were George Best's boots from his days in the boys' clubs of Belfast. And you can still see in white paint where he's inscribed the result of the matches that he played in which he scored. And uh, they really are an extraordinary, almost 19th century piece of kit uh, that we soon see developed. Um, and there's big photographs of Adidas factories and testing beds for boots and for trainers showing how footwear has uh, moved on in terms of the design. Uh, but it's a, it's an immediate mark of how we're going to see a kind of curating of the history of football. But it turned into rather more than that, for me at least, because it turned into something of a curation of my life, because so much of what's happened to me, um, I can locate and uh, map onto football. Um, so there are so many jarring memories that, that come through, particularly related to my father. I know I've talked about this before on Ness and Dorma, but um, I don't have a, a gravestone that I visit. I don't have many photographs around, but I get a strong sense of his presence, his connection more than his presence. It's not really a ghostly thing. It's more a, a generational thing. Um, whenever I go to Goodison Park and really other football grounds as well, especially Goodison, but not solely Goodison. And a bit later in the exhibition, there's a, a real old school turnstile, a metal thing with clanks and wheels and levers. And I was immediately subjected to a kind of Proustian rush of being seven, eight years old and my father lifting me over the uh, turnstiles in the Bullens Road at Goodison to go into the paddock. Uh, on which I would uh, stand on a box, my chin just over the white wall that surrounded Goodison. I was there standing on it when Andy King scored the goal in the 1977 uh, derby to end 
seven years of, of uh, draws and defeats um, by Everton. And this turnstile just took me there straight away. Um, I stood and paused for a moment, as I, as I did in front of other exhibits, which I'll come to in a, in a moment. But I'm sure that Ness and Dorma listeners will have those same feelings as they, they go around this exhibition. Um, it's full of triggering uh, objects, full of opportunities to wallow, if that's your preferred verb in nostalgia. But more than that, it's, it's a testament to what's changed, rightly so in many cases, not all, but also that football is deserving of this kind of cultural analysis is deserving of its place in our history. It is deserving of an exhibition of this quality and magnitude and indeed entry price, although the £16.80 or whatever it is it costs to, to buy a ticket is um, no more than what will buy you 20 minutes of football up the road at Craven Cottage these days, but uh, that's, that's for another day. Um, balls, World Cup balls, just along from Georgie Best's boots, there is the truly beautiful Adidas Telstar from the 1970 World Cup. Um, the pentagonal panels there in glorious monochrome, black and white, uh, a design classic which is at least good enough to be displayed in, in any museum. And I really feel as though I'm going to have to investigate whether one can get a, a, a replica um, these days. It would be a travesty if one couldn't, because if I had a mantelpiece, I would put it in pride of place. It will forever, for those of us who remember or indeed have watched uh, various highlights documentaries, it will forever be associated with Carlos Alberto's extraordinary fourth goal as Brazil um, topped out the highest level of attacking play probably ever seen in world football in 1970 in the, the uh, Azteca Stadium in, in Mexico. Um, the sight of that black and white ball being drilled by the overlapping fullback in the last minutes uh, in the 4-1 victory over uh, Italy, uh, laid on by Pele, more of whom later. Um, it's, it's there in that ball, and it is an extraordinarily beautiful thing. Um, next to it is the, is the tango from 1978, uh, which would be good in itself, but it's not as good as the Telstar. And then the designers get hold of things, and when designers uh, muscle into territory better occupied by engineers, we get things like the uh, Jubulani ball from South Africa and the Brazuca from Brazil. Uh, these, are, these are balls with at least one eye on the marketing opportunities that they provide, another eye on honouring, patronising, appropriating, choose your verb, uh, local culture uh, into a, a global event. Uh, I don't think they work. I don't think a World Cup ball has really worked since 1998's Trey Calori 
in uh, France. That's not in the show. But um, it becomes a theme as you walk around the exhibition that uh, digital technologies, uh, design disciplines, the greater flexibility that they offer has not necessarily produced better materials, has not necessarily produced a more evocative nor aesthetically pleasing set of artifacts. You turn the corner and you go into a room which has two exhibits which are, I think, in themselves a justification for the entrance fee. Uh, at first, you don't quite see it, but then a long glass cabinet with seven shirts, uh, you get a bit closer to it. And the one that's nearest is rather a strange one. It's it's white, I think. And um, you look closer, and it's Diego Maradona's shirt from, I think, the 1979 friendly he played at um Wembley when he was but a teenager uh, it's just amazing to stand there and be so close to to it and to see its size what struck me is the size of this shirt um it's tiny and when i say tiny i don't think my elder boy would have been able to wear it when he was still in primary school it's a child's shirt, and yet it was enough to house the greatest footballer I've ever seen, albeit in his early days. Next to it, not much bigger, is uh, Michel Platini's shirt from, I think, the 1984 Euros, um, the only perhaps personal performance in a tournament that gets close to Maradona's in 1986. And uh, the azure blue is is very deep on uh, on that French shirt. Um, then there are others there, but once you've seen the Maradona shirt, the others pale a little until it is trumped, which I'll come to in a moment. Uh, you step across and there's the Cameroon shirt, which had the cap sleeves now banned, which is a shame because it is a fantastic object. And why was it banned? Um, it looked good. They felt good playing in it and it gave Cameroon a, uh, a differentiating point both from other African sides or other sides in world tournaments and uh, it looks good and the Cameroon players had the physiques to show them off well and um, it's a shame that they were banned and then right at the end of the room a, a green and gold shirt hoves into sight in its own cabinet and you, you look at it and it's it's woven it looks like the kind of shirts that uh, the shipwrights that Stanley Spencer painted in his uh, in his glorious war paintings uh, on the Clyde. Um, it looks like one of those. Um, it's got green edging, a green collar, and you read the, uh, the little label, and it says it's Pele's shirt from 1958. Not from the final, because I think uh, Brazil played in blue in the final, but from the earlier rounds. And you're no more than a granite jacker shove away from Pele's shirt. 
you can't really explain the, the, the tingle, the sense of authority, if that's the right word, um, that, that comes with such proximity. It seems from another age, and of course it is from another age, but it also is an object of, of real beauty, the colour, the badge, the piping, the design, because it's no, it's no generic stamped out laser cut piece of shirt, uh, this. It is a truly artisan object from a time when artisan carried a little more meaning than an adjective applied to bakeries in Dalston. Um, I stood for about 90 seconds, I suppose. It felt a lot longer, just looking upon this shirt. Um, and then I checked around the back because it's not that easy to get around the back of the cabinet. But there is a number 10. And so we're looking at Pele's shirt from 1958. Couldn't quite believe it. There's no topping that. But elsewhere in the exhibition, there are so many memory joggers. Everyone will have their own uh, strongest jog. But just some of them, I can tell you, is uh, there's a display of fanzines, which took me back to sports pages in Charing Cross Road in the mid to late 80s. They were laid out on the floor then, but they're under glass uh, this time. You can see the desktop publishing design, the rheostatted pages, maybe photographed pages stapled together in enthusiasts' bedrooms. But you can also see the new form of journalism, a flatter kind of journalism that has brought both opportunities but also problems in the online age. Uh, you see new voices emerging, new ways of describing and mediating the game uh, in those fanzines. There are no tickets on display, which I felt a bit of a shame. Um, I always love an old ticket. When my father died, we looked back through not, not much memorabilia that he kept, but we found tickets for FA Cup finals, World Cup final. Uh, semi-finals and derby matches and um, the design of these tickets often very functional um, often done in a, in a hurry particularly for a kind of replay which in those days you drew on the Saturday you replayed on the Wednesday um, and you printed 45,000 tickets in the interim uh, but it was a shame there were none of those uh, but there were plenty of other things there. There are beautiful architectural drawings of, um, I think it's Anfield redevelopment in 1903. Um, Archibald Leach gets a, a, some significant space, as he should, as the premier architect of football grounds in the UK. Uh, Villa Park and Ibrox being two of his uh, masterpieces. Uh, there is due acknowledgement the fact that stadiums have been designed in such a way that disasters were, one hesitates to use the word inevitable, but I think that's the only word that does fit. Uh, they were accidents waiting to happen, and there are many examples thereof. And we do hear Peter Jones uh, hauling 
but beautifully rendered uh, report that was on Radio 2 in 1989 after Hillsborough, uh, what was happening at Hillsborough became uh, evident in 1989. Um, there's lots of shirts that are on show. Um, the Italian shirts, inevitably, um, the likes of Milan, uh, seem better than some of the other shirts that are there. But it's nice to see kind of Leeds smiley badge from the Reavy years uh, on a shirt and uh, plenty, plenty of others. Um, I particularly liked the display of um, posters for FIFA tournaments, men's and women's. Um, the calligraphy is what always strikes me. Uh, and with a little bit of confirmation bias, what we can read into each host nation um, seizing the opportunity to place a little bit of its cultural heritage into the posters. You can't look at um, Switzerland 1954 um, without feeling the, the recovery of Europe uh, after the horrors of World War II. Um, you also, again, can't see those posters without um, thinking of the extraordinary um, progression of West Germany uh, to that title from the ashes of the uh, destruction visited upon that country by its Nazi regime um, a decade earlier. Um, so many of those, those posters, again, just seems so much more than marketing or advertising whether and I, I think they did but whether the graphic designers who put those together were fully aware um particularly tournaments in the 20th century uh, that they would have such standing because football was a diversion it wasn't a global industry it was a sport it was not pseudo-amateur like the Olympics. Uh, it was at least professional, but it had nothing of the standing it has today. And so the the commissions that went along with things like designing posters would just be one of many, I suspect, that would go to design companies and they just knocked knocked out a, a poster for it. But they they are extraordinary and beautiful objects in in and of themselves. Um, Again, you'll find your, your jolts wherever you take them. Um, there's the Wembley board game. Uh, I haven't seen a copy of it or its board with its primary colours and its pre-digital age calligraphy. Um, I hadn't seen it since I was, what, 14 or 15, round at a friend's bedroom in those strange days before beer and girls uh, came into one's life. But there they are, uh, the tokens, the the complex board the money like monopoly money um and the wholly unrealistic prices for uh, a top striker sixteen thousand pounds a year well of course um there are uh there are subutio sets there not as much subutio as i thought there would be but a bit um there are photographs 
perhaps the most impressive. It won't be new to many going to the exhibition. The uh, the yellow wall at uh, Dortmund. It's uh, extraordinary standing cup, um, which made me think even more how much I'm looking forward to safe standing areas coming back into top flight football and being able to stand um, legitimately and without apology um, at a football ground. Uh, Extraordinary photographs. Other extraordinary photographs uh, locate grounds, particularly in Italy and perhaps in South America, uh, that are wedged into urban areas, um, overlooked by blocks of flats, um, showing how football has always been located within its working class communities for all of its middle class mores these days, its prawn sandwiches, etc., etc., etc. The advent of new grounds, and there are plenty of pictures of new stadia in this exhibition, has taken away from the, the old system that you had if you were in a city visiting an away ground for the first time. Uh, you you knew that you were close to the football ground when you found the prison because both were built at the same time, roughly for the same clientele, depending on which side of that uh, line of legality one, one found oneself uh, as one uh, navigated through working-class cities. It's a fantastic exhibition. It was more than ever I could have hoped for, and it moved me as well as... Uh, has educated me. Um, I think someone who knows almost nothing about football's history and about football's design will get a lot from this. Someone who knows a great deal about football's history and about football's design will also get a great deal from this. It's on until the 29th of August. Um, It's at the Design Museum in Holland Park, London as well. It's a lubrious Holland Park. And if you're a Nessendorma listener, then I am as close to certain as I can be that you will very much enjoy this show. Um, Whether it will come around again in our lifetime, I don't know. Um, Don't miss it. Thank you. Bye-bye. Sports Social Podcast Network.